You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. And welcome to another episode of Modern Myth, where archaeology is treated as modern myth-making. We're part of the Archaeology Podcast Network, and my name is Tristan. I'm the Anarchaeologist, and I am the host of this show. Today's episode is uh, one that I've been looking forward to record for quite a while, and I have the wonderful Colleen Morgan and Aris Politopoulos. Yes. Yeah, got almost it, got it. Almost got it. Thank you very much. Uh, to talk about the Black Trial Collective. So without actually much further ado, I kind of want to talk about what is the Black Trial Collective and like <clears throat> how, are you, how are you both involved? So Aris, do you want to start? Sure. Um, the Black Trial Collective in general is a collective of, of archaeologists um, that ranges from students to faculty members to early career researchers to uh, archaeologists in the, in the professional sector um, that both share uh, an idea about mutual aid and anarchism. Uh, and through the Black Travel Collective, uh, we've been doing yeah, a lot of <laughs> uh, a lot of things that we can talk about today, from mutual aid funds to uh, activism to writing blogs and and posts about current issues in, in archaeology. All right. And Colleen, if somebody wasn't really familiar with things, the concepts like mutual aid funds and kind of maybe concepts of anarchism, how would you best describe the Black Trial Collective? The Black Trial Collective, I would say, is a collection of, as Aris said, anarchists, archaeologists, and we all brought together by concepts of prefiguration both within our conceptualization of archaeology in the past and with current practice. And mutual aid in particular is something that we've really forefronted with our practice. Mutual aid being that um, we it is not charity, it's not a handout, but you give according to your means and then you distribute according to need. And so we find often that a lot of our contributions are actually from students, and these are given to other students. And so one of our collective members once joked that um, all of our students are just passing the same $10 around to each other in need. But we really want to tap into this as we think it's really important that we help out where we can, um, especially since so many of us have benefited from structural inequalities that have held up our profession for years. So how did this journey start in terms of, you know, deciding to kind of come together to become this kind of collective effort? Like, where was the what was the build, what was the building blocks or the like incentive to do this? The original members came together through interest in, in anarchism and archaeology, and this manifested in uh, SAA sessions and from them corresponding with each other. And then it coalesced during a 2016 Amerind session 
workshop where they all came together and came up with, say, the Black Trial Collective Manifesto. And um, then there were several publications that came out of that in the Journal of Contemporary Archaeology and the essays Archaeological Record. Um, I was supposed to be there, but I had a baby instead, as one does. Um, and then so this early activity was then followed on um, by some dialogue and they kind of tried to get um, more things going on, but it really picked up when Lewis Bork and I um, decided that we needed more mutual aid in the form of uh, mutual support for anarchists in archaeology. And we started a WhatsApp group and started collecting all of our um, comrades together. And then this finally has translated into um, other social media where we try to be active and um, connect with each other. So what are the main ways in which you people get in touch with you? Is that through like uh, websites, social media? How, how do you find people usually get in touch? Um, it, it depends for the, as Gullian said, for starters, it sort of um, began with people that we knew because initiatives based on, on mutual aid and solidarity are uh, essentially also based on uh, relations of trust as well. So we sort of began from people that we know and people that already uh, are within this broader political framework or mind framework, uh, if you'd like. But as the, yeah, as the collective uh, grew, uh, more people have been getting in touch either via via, so by knowing that somebody is in the collective or by getting in touch through Twitter. Mostly I would say Twitter is our most uh, uh, successful uh, uh, social media out there. Um, but for the most part, we're also working from, from word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And it's quite interesting that obviously as an anarchist kind of group, you know, anarchy doesn't, doesn't mean chaos. Uh, it it, it re represents here something where it's not really a, like there's not a single person in charge. It's more like a group kind of decision on things. How has that been for the group to do? And like, you know, of it, like uh, has that kind of worked smoothly? How, how, like, how do you feel about that? Well, I think we all take the lead in different initiatives, and um, it's really about who has the time and who has the energy for any one given initiative. And so the consensus decision-making, to my mind, has been relatively easy so far. I don't think we've been overly challenged by some of our um, the things that we've had to come to consensus on, but we've had... More, smaller meetings where a group of us come together and discuss an initiative and then we bring it forward to the entire collective for discussion and debate and then we had a more general meeting a few weeks ago where we managed to come to complete group consensus over several initiatives and so i think that the group in uh, consensus really really works well for us and this is aided in part by sharing a worldview that privileges consensus and forefronts the ideas of the precarious and the um, people that are, would be considered within an academic structure to be less powerful. Of course. 
and it's quite interesting, I think, that um, you're saying about people kind of come in and out of different roles and different things. Um, what kind of what what ha- what has what has been one of the initiatives that has really stood out in the last couple of months for the Black Trial Collective in terms of what it's been able to do? Um, I think the the most public facing project that we've we've done is the, the micro grants um so through the this mutual aid um group part of the black trial collective which really aims to to support um archaeology students in need um so that has been definitely one of our uh, yeah uh, one of the primary things we've been engaged with but also recently it was published the running safer sessions blog post uh, a bit of in reaction to all sorts of problematic sessions that have been happening happening in archaeological conferences and other conferences in recent and past times um so that i would say is uh, also uh, something some one of the highlights of the recent times Mm-hmm. And so, how does the, the this micro grant system? How does that actually operate? So, if somebody was to get in contact with a need, like how how would they get in contact, and what would the what are the kind of rules surrounding that? I, I'm going to start from this top because I can't remember what I said. I'm afraid. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. To apply for a Black Trial Collective micro grant, you must find our website first, and that's pretty easy to Google. Just Google Black Trial Collective micro grants, and then it takes you to a form that you fill in. And this form will ask for your institutional affiliation, and if you are an archaeology student. And this is important to us as um, the people who give us the money to distribute these grants, um, this is in trust. And so we must be able to trust that these people are archaeology students. We also have a query box that uh, we allow people to ask for, uh, to, to discuss a bit further their needs. This is not necessary and not mandatory, but we found that this... Um, really can demonstrate the amount of need there is within archaeology as we get many stories and we do share some of these stories on twitter with the permission of the people who apply but some of the ones that we don't share are really heartrending, and you just see how much archaeology students are struggling right now not only with the pandemic but with just ongoing um, structural racism and classism and everything that we are barriers to keeping people we really need to be um, participating within the profession and so um is there um is there kind of like um the the amount that's usually asked for um i don't know if you want to go into this or not but what are the typical kind of things that people are asking for um we, we have a we have a range that, which we can cover which people can also find on the website so we we also have a certain capacity of money that we can distribute unfortunately um, so the micro grants we provide range from anywhere between five to three hundred dollars or pounds or or euros, um, and usually what we see uh, lies on the on the higher side. A lot of people are in need 
of of basic things so from from rent to covering food to covering childcare uh just in order to be able to continue with with their studies of archaeology so of course yeah it it sometimes has to do with research but but we see that for the most part the struggles are quite real when it's coming to to the day-to-day uh stuff have you been surprised by the re- the response to it in terms of the the amount of need or is it something that you kind of thought well actually there are a lot of people in need and it's kind of like matched your expectations i think the response has been a little bit mixed to be honest um we are the recipients of an incredible amount of generosity given by um professors and as we said students and even um, movie stars apparently who are interested in archaeology that are able to give and so this though is completely um, uh, dwarfed by the need that is out there we regularly can't completely fulfill the requests that we get each month and so sometimes we're not able to fully distribute um, according to what people request and the a lot of our respondents through probably um, again structural issues regarding internet access have been from the United States from Europe but we also find that many of these applicants while they are from universities in um, again North America they are actually immigrants or they come from say Tanzania or from other countries. And so sometimes I think the actual location of the request doesn't really reflect um, the individual behind the request, if that makes sense. But I feel like we are broadening our reach and we would like to continue to broaden our reach. But in that, we would also need to um, accrue more funds to be able to distribute to that many people. So we're in a very interesting position where um, we would love to help more students, but our capacity to help them is limited. Mm-hmm. And of course, that comes down to the amount of money that is then raised in the first place from the micro grants. And that's in part to people who are are actually donating. And as you've said before, it seems that there's a lot of archaeology students who are donating in. Um, and it's a lot of archaeology students donating out as well. I mean, it, it, this is something that is open to all students, uh, you know. So if people are interested, they just need to go to the the website to kind of find out more about that. Yeah, exactly. So just go to the website, uh, and we have a pretty big uh, set of uh, frequently asked questions regarding the micro grants and for what you can apply and how do the micro grants work um, and to what extent we're asking questions or not so all the information um, are basically there and if still there are some questions regarding people whether they feel uh, that they should apply or not they can they can always contact us via our uh, email or via Twitter, and we'd be happy to help. I think it's important to to highlight here that very often um, we get people who are hesitant to apply, that they feel that their need is not uh, enough to, to apply. So it is important that 
we want to encourage people who are actually need to not be afraid to apply to apply and not be afraid to ask for this money because this is this is not a charity this is a mutual aid group and we're working from the premise of solidarity and of helping each other so please if you if you are in need uh, don't don't hesitate to apply and now we're going to go to a break and we'll come back to our second half we have more discussions about mutual aid anarchism and archaeology and how to help thank you very much and we're back i'm talking to aris and colleen of the black trial collective we've just been talking about how the black trial collective microgrants fund works and operates and now i think it's kind of time to talk about maybe a little bit of kind of anarchism in archaeology and kind of discussing the group dynamics of having things like this so i mean are there are there many archaeologists who identify as anarchists and why aren't they on the tv anybody want to take a stab at that one um I, I can i can i can have a go i guess um or briefly uh i'm pretty sure that there are there are plenty of archaeologists who identify as anarchists or who are anarchists in their worldview but they're sort of they haven't maybe realized yet or they're not um they don't feel confident to say it yet um anarchism is this this ideology that is deeply rooted in in ideas of solidarity and in ideas of freedom and and of social equality and these are things that a lot of people would would subscribe to often anarchism t- tends to be this this scary word that people associate with with chaos or with destruction or with uh people covering their faces and throwing molotov cocktails um but this this is not what anarchism essentially is um so the a bit of a lack of understanding of what anarchism actually means um has sort of uh, disencouraged people to to associate with it and that is also part of the reason of why we don't see these kind of things on tv because yeah nobody wants to necessarily associate with it and at the same time it's still a radical movement. It's, it's still something that goes against the, the status quo, both on a social manner, but also within academia uh, and therefore traditional um, yeah, traditional outlets would not be very keen on, on promoting this kind of radical work necessarily. So apart from the people like myself who put anarchy in their <laughs> Twitter handle, <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was a funny double entendre and then I realized actually you know what I kind of like being disruptive in archaeology but like disruption and the way that anarchy kind of kind of takes down traditional forms I mean that's quite important in archaeology isn't it I think like archaeology is itself a kind of grown out of kind of colonialism, race science and other things. And the the fact that we need to kind of dismantle it from within uh, it is quite important. But I mean, it's it's definitely it's definitely an uphill struggle. How do you feel about it, Colleen, um, being somebody who has like written about anarchism and archaeology? How do you feel like what what are the steps that archaeology needs to take to actually be more radical 
Ah, very good question. I think, and building off of what Ara said, um, another archaeologist said to me that he really thought that most archaeologists were actually anarchists. Um, and I, to a certain extent, I agree. It's very much a um, Graber's, you might be, an, you may, are you an anarchist? You may be surprised. And many of us behave in ways that are uh, forefront of, in anarchism in, again, as I said, mutual aid and solidarity and egalitarianism. But sometimes we just need to be able to know the terminology and know words like prefiguration to help build our understanding of how to build a better future within archaeology. I wrote an article um, a few years ago about single context archaeology, which is a methodology that is um, very British archaeological methodology, and how this complemented in many ways um, a more egalitarian approach to understanding and excavating archaeology. And this really was rooted in a sense of um, health and safety, so consideration um, for your fellows and for um, enskillment and individual authority within archaeologists to have the craft ability to excavate and interpret remains without having a constant supervision from a director saying, no, this is right, no, this is wrong, but actually building an interpretation together. And finally, archaeology, especially in London, um, about 40 years ago, was quite radical. And you regularly see archaeologists marching with banners. And so there's a lot of um, ties for archaeologists within broader social movements. And I think it's really time to reinvigorate that and to form our understanding about archaeology through anarchist principles. It does feel sometimes that archaeology relies on large institutions, you know, uh, to provide it with some sort of authority and credibility, especially in the public eye. Um, obviously, like anarchism would be towards possibly dismantling and depowering those institutions, or have I like would I is that a wrong understanding from my side of things? Like I don't I don't know if we really need large institutions to keep a credibility um we uh both as individuals or uh as anarchists we don't need the institutions necessarily the idea um comes i think mostly from the fact that there is an establishment where these kind of institutions are prevalent where to be credible is to be associated um, with a large institution, whether that institution is, is an academic institution or a funding body um, or, or even a, a news agency, right? And these kind of outlets are the ones who provide credibility uh, much more oftentimes than the quality of work that is being produced. Um, so we don't really need it, but it's the kind of uh places that if we want to move forward with an un with an anarchist archaeology is the places that we need to to disrupt uh to make sure that voices can be heard from other sides to make sure that voices surrounding ideas about the past perceptions about the past and, and a radical shift on, on how we view the past from the bottom up 
means to engage with these institutions and and be and, and radically change them and and actively participate not in the sense of reinforcing them but in the sense of disrupting them I'm quite interested because someone could take a very superficial reading of the desire to reject institutions as uh, the same kind of place that, you know, many pseudo-archaeologists come from in terms of, like, not being one of the experts, not being, like, from a museum or something. Uh, and and the fact that they aren't tied to those uh, traditional institutions, that they have information that we don't have access to. Um obviously like obviously there is a very big difference between giving other people's a voice and rejecting those institutions but like uh, how how do anarchist archaeologies how do they find those voices to uh, people t- from which their voices have been taken from the past speaking to aris's earlier point i think there's it's very much the mission of anarchist archaeologists to build a new world in the shell of the old and how you navigate yourself as a individual anarchist within institutions can be really scary and it can be really difficult. And um, you always see the cartoon, right, that says, um, ah, but you participate in modern society. Yes, I am actually at a university at the moment. I have taken funding from uh, major institutions. And trying to navigate these um, you may call them hypocrisies or engagements with other things. It's always been really fascinating. And I think the participation in a collective um, for me really helps with that because it aids in counterpower. And so you're able to build power outside of these institutions together. And as Eros has mentioned, we have a multi-ethnic collective that is from all over the world, at all stages within archaeology. And we're able to really come together in solidarity to um, speak against and through these institutions. And I really encourage as many people as possible to get together their own collectives because they're extremely powerful. And being the lone individual uh, tilting at windmills is never very welcomed by the institution. But when you get in a collective, people start to have to listen to you. Um, I think I forgot your original question. I just wanted to talk about Aristotle. <laughs> 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 no, I, I well, I mean, it, it's how do we how do we give voice to those marginalized voices? Like, how do we know? who they are in the first place and then how do we give them some sort of voice um you know does that you know it's not simply the rejection of institutions that's important it's actually the rest of the work that really makes anarchist archaeology important uh i think the so uh, to go a little bit further back in in the first part of the question uh because i think it is really important you 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 very rightly pointed out that there other like pseudo archaeologists or or people who sort of want or they claim that they want to disrupt traditional science so to speak um but the key difference is that these kind of people they want to claim uh, as a, a place on who gets to be the author of the past so these are the kind of people that they don't simply they don't want to to disrupt the current structure to create a more open and accessible 
uh, knowledge about the past, but rather they want their voices to be the loudest. And anarchist archaeology archaeologists come exactly from the opposite perspective. It's about disrupting the structure so other voices can be heard, so more more voices can be heard, and authorship about the past can be communal rather than singular, rather than coming from the from the ivory tower of academia. Uh, and, and to do that, and to make sure that this is happening, uh, means to be to, to engage with, with society. So one of the first steps for archaeologists, archaeologists to get out there is to actually really get out of, of the, their own offices and instead of simply excavating, make sure that they, whatever they dig, whatever they, uh, whatever their research area is, that they come in, in direct contact with the people living there, the local population, the people uh, whom their heritage are excavating. Because oftentimes they are the ones who have the knowledge about the, the past. And, and our work is, is, is complementary, right? Is to make sure that this is communicated, but we need to, to allow for these local populations, for indigenous groups, um, for people uh, who are currently marginalized by, by the capitalist society to be the authors of their own pasts and of their own histories. That is, no, that is a very good point. And I think that does speak to what I was, you know, what was uh, I was uh, asking about, because I think, I think this is the, this is the key thing is that for a lot of people, especially with new terms, they're not familiar with, um, it can be kind of daunting. Uh, Colleen, could I ask you about prefiguration? If you could kind of like put it in simple terms, what does that actually mean? Prefiguration is to uh, continue as to start as you mean to go on. So if you wish for there to be a more just and egalitarian society, then you need to be doing all of your actions towards making that just and egalitarian society need to be just and egalitarian. And so it is very much about um, thinking about the future and trying to make a future rather than trying to um, do a bunch of bad things and then suddenly think that, oh, the children will fix it. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand that. It's kind of like there's there's no point it, it, there's no point in like if you want just an equal society using like authority and like terror to get there. Like I understand that you're trying to actually start 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 with good roots, if that's a better if that's a simpler way of saying it. And it that directly contrasts with socialism, obviously that seeks to have a vanguard action that will make a government action that will turn everybody into socialists and then the the power will wither away and so the power will go when everybody realizes that um, it's better to be socialist but it seems um, as if history at least has told us that this doesn't really happen the withering away 
I, I wonder I wonder by analogy whether it's the it, whether that's the also an issue with regards to like you know public outreach like I, I'm very very interested in the intersection between the public and history in the past and how does the public mediate that and understand the past and I think one of the things that I've always wondered is well is there a point at which we can educate the public enough that they become I don't know conscious of history but like is there something to be conscious of in history in that, in those same terms as like the Marxist class consciousness? Is there something about history that we could educate people enough of that they could make their own decisions about it? Or is that the wrong approach to go with entirely? Um, I, I think that is. Um, people are conscious of various histories. Um and currently, we are in a situation or in a, in a, in a period in history where we tend to think of the world in completely objective manners, and we and therefore we believe that a history is set in stone. That there is no way to retell histories. That there is no way to rethink about histories. Um, and. And that history that is set in stone is currently the yeah, the history of our of our nation states, uh, the history of colonialism and, and the history that wants the West to be at the forefront of, of societal change and of technological change. I think once there is a shift in perspective of the past as being shared, as being something that belongs to uh yeah, to human society at large, and it's it it doesn't belong exclusively to to the to those authors who get to write about it because they have the money to write about it. Uh, that is the kind of shift that will yeah that will allow for uh, for a different broader perspective. And now, how how is this achieved? Is a kind of a bigger discussion. But I think a lot of it, um, a lot of these kind of ideas have written by people such as Paul Feyerabend and, and his ideas about how you can dismantle the, the strict method and, and engage society in creating new science. And uh, in that sense, if we would apply these kind of things to archaeology, in creating new authorships about the past if that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, because that's, that's, that's the basic conundrum. Is it like, is it the tools or the information that people have an issue with? You know, like, why do we get easily sucked into culture wars about how the past is represented if, you know, all it needs is like, actually, uh, no, the information is this. Um, it, it does seem as if things like narrative and how the information is kind of like presented and talked about is equally important and i i don't know colleen what, how do you feel like an anarchist view of archaeology from that perspective can actually help with the kind of way the public interacts with the past in a way i think that it's actually both i'm a very um uh i don't know I have a very Catholic approach, I suppose, to public interaction, public outreach. I think that uh, my colleague Gabe Moshenska has you know, really identified the need to be active on many, many, many different fronts. And I think there are a lot of people that are doing a lot better work than I 
have done in the past on this. And I think that um, one of the ways I'm the most interested in, though, is um, a situationist uh, approach to public archaeology, which is um, takes after the avant-garde artists and intellectuals from the 1957 to, well, 1972. And so this is very much rooted in Dadaism and surrealism, and so really haunting people with the past and really showing them that the past is all around us and suffuses everything we are and everything we do. I think there is a really interesting moment of frisson that you can get, a chill you can get down your spine when you realize that somebody else has been, has been here, has walked in this particular place, has experienced perhaps something similar to you. And it's the kind of those little moments in time that I really strive for within my own research. And I try to do this through digital interventions primarily, but I think you can do it in many other ways, just with um, having people say, use dress up boxes or having them come into direct contact with the materials of the past. And we'll hear more about that in our final segment of the show. Thank you. <laughs> And we're back. This is Modern Myth. I'm speaking to Aris and Colleen of the Black Trial Collective about anarchism, archaeology, mutual aid, and much, much more. So to take away from what we've been discussing, what can somebody do today to help other people? And what are the kind of steps that, you know, somebody could take? Um... You mean in, in general as in, in or in archaeology specifically? Oh, and I think in, mm -hmm. I th I'll make this in general, like, you know, you know, can they can they join a mutual aid group? Uh, can they yep. like provide support to students, provide support to other practitioners? What are the things that they could do in in the spirit of what the Black Troll Collective um, does? The first thing that, that any anyone can do is start to as an individual actively thinking more about the yeah, the, the principles so to speak of anarchism because again going back to what Colin said quite a bit earlier about this this Kreber approach to just you would be surprised um, <laughs> to think that you might be an anarchist uh, so primarily to start acting uh, within your own workspace within your um, own academic space within your own community um, in the spirit of solidarity or in the spirit of mutual aid in the spirit of equality making sure that you do not suppress voices uh, making sure that you uh, give space uh, to the people at the margins and making sure that uh, you uh, yeah you're not over overtaking in the writing of history um, and on a practical sense you can always indeed organize yourself within your own community within your own neighborhood within your own academic institution uh, join a mutual aid group um, and if you don't feel confident in doing that within archaeology because of a of, of professional status and that is something totally understandable a lot of people have been scrutinized within academia <clears throat> for being anarchists, then you can do the same thing within your own communities uh, and even within your own street and, and make sure that if somebody is in need of food, you help 
provide, not from a sense of charity, but from a, a true sense of mutual aid. Yeah, as Eris said, I think that there's really good entry points for you at any stage and level of commitment that you would like to engage with. And one of the best things you can do is just to find your local food, not bombs, and ask if you can help out, distribute uh, food to the homeless. And then through some of those networks, you can get hooked into other issues and other anarchist collectives. There are collectives that protect people against fascist violence. There are collectives against... Um, people being evicted and um, quite a few other things in addition to providing frontline assistance during um, protests and things to keep other people safe. So yeah, I think you just um, can cast around your local network as much as you can because that often is where you can be the most effective. And obviously with the current uh, situation in terms uh, around the world of lockdowns and changes to people's how people work and things like that, it's more more important than ever that there are avenues for people to assist one another. What do you think over the next couple of years, do you think, do you foresee any big changes in how archaeology is done? Uh, and like, do you think academia is going to change because of like the the pandemic and um is that kind of like does that spur a need for more effort in terms of this kind of mutual aid i think we're seeing a lot of pandemic after effects already in just this week in the uk the government is trying to suppress protests um for black lives matter and for um, extinction rebellion and there are going to be a lot of fights to fight, to be honest. Um, there's always the increased neoliberalization. And many of these things will be done under the justification of um, COVID relief and pandemic relief, when really we should be fighting as much as we possibly can to forward our principles and to have a more just and egalitarian society. And <clears throat> I think another very important thing will be the uh, an increased gatekeeping of knowledge but in a negative way from from academic institutions with the, the increased privatization of education less and less people will have access to will have access to education will have access to knowledge and as a result will also have access to knowledge about the past and, and history um, and we that is something that we should really, push back uh, to and I think there are also many ways to do this uh, maybe the internet is often a really bad place but it's also a really good place to make sure that we share the knowledge that we produce openly and accessibly that we make sure that it reaches uh, the wider public um, and make sure that even students who don't necessarily have the means to study in, in more expensive institutions they are able to at least receive uh, this knowledge via other channels. And I think groups like the Black Trial Collective and any other type of collective that uh, wants to characterize itself as, as an anarchist collective should be providing means of accessible knowledge for, uh, for students and for the wider, for the wider public. 
of course. And in the spirit of actually sharing things um, online, um, if you wouldn't mind uh, letting us all know uh, where we can find more information on the Black Trial Collective. You can find more information about the Black Trial Collective on the, our website. And so that's just Black Trial Collective. I think it's at wordpress.com and on Twitter. And we also have a Facebook group. We are also on Patreon. Um, that is one of our sources of uh, donations. And we really appreciate anybody who can give as much as within their means. Excellent, excellent. And for yourselves, is there any place that people can find more information about the work that you both do uh, online? Um, for myself, people can find me on Twitter at apolitopoulos, uh, or you can also find my work on, on video games, and I do a lot of stuff about video games, archaeology, and, and knowledge, uh, and accessible knowledge. Uh, on Twitter as well at ValueFND. You can find me on Twitter as well, CL Morgan, CL Morgan, or my website, Colleen Morgan.com. Perfect. Well, thank you very, very much for coming to speak to me on this show. I'll have links and, uh, and all that information in the show notes. So thank you again, and uh, I wish you all the best with the Black Troll Collective going forward. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.